Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Hub and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, my name is Hub and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? I'm doing okay. Work's been kind of a pain in the butt lately, so I've been kind of trying to brainstorm potential other money-making ideas, and here's what I've been able to come up with. You know how old people are always saying, I bet you dollars to donuts that Hanksley kid's up to no good. Because obviously that Hanksley kid is up to no good, and to an old person, the dollar to donut conversion rate is multiple donuts to each dollar. Now, I don't know if you've been keeping up with pastry inflation rates, but at least here in Portland, a dollar will buy you a mere fraction of a donut. So, seeing as this pastry-to-currency paradigm has shifted so dramatically, I think that there is good money to be made by just going around and taking up elderly people on all of their dollar-to-donut bets. Then, when you lose your bet, and they are legally obligated to give you a donut for a dollar, you can turn around and sell that donut on the open market for upwards of $1.75. It's just simple economics. So if you know any elderly people who are in the market to make dollar-to-donut bets, specifically regarding the Hanksley kid, please, send them my way. Anyway... Now that I've solved all of our financial problems, let's talk about a comic book, shall we? Without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme comes courtesy of Neil Butler. Pavement song Range Life contains an indie rock diss, but Tighten Up the Defense usually contains a synopsis. Synopsis. Thanks, Neil. Tales of the Teen Titans, number 57. September 1985. And we get an odd innovation with the title of this issue. We actually have multiple choice titles. A. The End of Cyborg. B. New York Nightmare. Or C. None of the Above. Hmm. C's tempting, but I choose B. This issue is titled B. Written by Marv Wolfman. Drotted by Chuck Patton, inked by Romeo Tangal, lettered by Albert de Guzman, colored by Adrienne Roy, and edited by Marv Wolfman. Teen Titan Roll Call Cyborg, Beast Boy, Starfire, Wonder Girl, Nightwing, and Jericho. Previously in Tales of the Teen Titans. After a breakfast bonding session with fellow piece of shit Deathstroke the Terminator, the super-powered assassin who uses 90% of his brain but only 50% of his eyeballs, Beast Boy decided to stop being such an asshole all the time. He hurried off to share this resolution with his bionic buddy Cyborg, but it turned out that Cyborg had made a resolution of his own to stop looking like he was part robot. 
the mostly molybdenum marvel had decided to undergo an experimental surgery that would switch out his exterior metal parts with flesh-like plastic substitutions. The only drawback to this surgery was that once the operation was complete, Victor would be unable to use the augmented abilities granted to him by his internal machinery, because the substitute parts wouldn't be able to take the strain. While the cybernetic super teen agonized over this decision, his teammate Raven was doing some agonizing of her own. For years now, the Azerathian empath had been terrified that her demonic bad dad Trigon would climb out of her bird-shaped soul tummy and destroy the universe. And she still was terrified of that. The avian-themed enchantress sealed herself off in an uninhabited dimension filled with electrical crackles and stalagmites to yell about how upset she was that she couldn't allow herself to feel emotions. Raven took a brief break from her self-imposed exile to swing by Star Lab's hospital, beat up some bad guys, and cure a little girl's cancer. Her altruistic efforts, however, brought Trigon's influence closer to the surface, so back to Stalagmite Central she went. Meanwhile, the Teen Titans' old foes, the Fearsome Five, were up to their old shenanigans. Or perhaps some new shenanigans. Having once again rid themselves of the team's founder, terrible goatee haver and all-around pile of garbage Dr. Light, the cadre of crumbums found themselves one criminal short of a quintet. Adopting the memorable moniker, the Fearsome Five Minus One, Simon with a P, Gizmo, Shimmer, and Mammoth went on a recruitment drive. The first stop for the Quartet of Crooks was the aforementioned Star Labs Hospital, where Gizmo's goons hijacked a mysterious radioactive patient who was sealed in a complicated containment device. Next, the squadron of supervillains with the subtraction sobriquet headed to Newgate Prison, where they sought to liberate a prisoner named Jinx, who was floating around in a tub of goo. Nightwing, Wonder Girl, and Starfire thought to thwart the FFMO in their attempt to bolster their ranks, but the results were less than optimal. During the initial skirmish, Simon with a P used his psychic nonsense powers to hurl Dick into the stratosphere. Yikes! Through their combined efforts, Starfire and Wonder Girl were able to retrieve the airborne aerialist and deposit him safely on a nearby rooftop. But when the two titans leapt back into the fray, they were quickly overpowered. Shimmer used her matter transmutation abilities to fill Coriander's lungs with poisonous gas and trap Donna in an invisible wall that solidified around the unsuspecting Amazon and began to constrict. Confident that Wonder Girl would soon be bisected and Starfire would asphyxiate, the victorious villains vamoosed, taking the jinx-filled science tube with them. God, Zooks! How will our duo of distressed do-gooders divest themselves of this deadly dilemma? How will Raven react to her sinister sire's apparently imminent ascendance? And will Beast Boy remember his resolution to refrain from reprehensibility? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so it doesn't really come up. They just show up at the Titan Tower and are fine. I don't know. She doesn't appear in this issue. And nope, he sure doesn't. Inside the Star Labs Hospital... Victor Stone is convalescing from his demetallification surgery. Once the bandages are removed, his surgeon, Dr. Janae Clyburn, brings over a bizarrely elaborate cyber mirror for him to look at. Seems like an unnecessary expense, but maybe if they don't spend all their grant money, their budget will be reduced next year. Vic is pretty stoked about what he sees in the techno mirror, and with good reason. He is a handsome dude. He was a pretty handsome dude when he was all shiny, too, 
but now he's handsome in a more conventional way. Back at the Titan Tower, Gar and Jericho are hanging out and looking at a computer when Donna, Dick, and Starfire stumble in. There's no mention of how the ladies managed to escape from their respective death traps that ended the previous issue, but Donna has a slightly sore back. Huh, maybe she tried to pick up all the abandoned plot lines and immediately disposed of character development from the past several issues. Jeez, careful, Donna! If you're lifting a load that heavy, you really have to make sure you lift with your legs. You're gonna get a hernia. Beast Boy creepily hits on his injured teammates. Because, remember how he wasn't going to be a creepy, insecure asshole anymore? Yeah, neither does he. The gang retires to their fancy holodeck, where Coriander and Dick soak in a hot tub while Jericho massages Wonder Girl's sore back. Gar turns into a dolphin and swims laps in the pool, continuing his steady stream of inappropriate innuendos as he does so. The shape-shifting shithead takes a brief break from saying creepy stuff about his teammates' bodies to say some creepy racist stuff about Jinx, the woman the fearsome 5-1 boosted out of prison. Turns out, Jinx is from India and can do magic. There's probably a way to impart that information about her background that doesn't include crude racist impressions of both Indian and Native American accents, but not to Beast Boy there isn't. When he's done demonstrating his Mickey Rooney and Breakfast at Tiffany's level of cultural sensitivity, Gar goes back to hitting on Starfire. The Tamaranian princess has had enough of his bullshit. She stands up from the hot tub, revealing that she is nude, and is like, Yes, Gar, I have breasts. I also don't have the same cultural taboos about sex and nudity that you do. Now what the fuck is your problem? Completely unequipped to deal with Starfire's lack of shame or inhibition, Beast Boy sputters like an idiot, reverts to human form, gets super embarrassed, looks away, and perhaps most surprisingly, shuts the fuck up for a minute. Hooray! Back at the hospital, Victor is decked out in his new faux flesh and is ready to start his rehabilitation. Dr. Clyburn introduces him to his new physical therapist, Dr. Sarah Charles. Dr. Charles is a tough, no-nonsense lady. Vic tries to sass her, but she takes no guff. They have a pretty intense training montage, during which she refuses to cut Victor any slack, but they grudgingly seem to earn one another's respect. Also, some stubble starts to grow back on Vic's head, which had previously been shaved for the surgery. I think the hair growth is supposed to just signify that a few days have passed, but it also speaks to how technologically advanced the plastics used in his surgery were. Half of Vic's skull is now made of plastic, and the hair growth rate is consistent over his entire head. Makes me kind of wonder if they could have figured out a way for his shiny metal skull to grow hair, too. That'd be a pretty intense look. As Vic and Dr. Charles have their training montage, the fearsome 5-1 managed to revive Jinx from her stasis field. When she first wakes up, she attacks her liberators, but then Simon with a P pokes around in her brain, teaches her English, she had previously only spoken Urdu, and explains that it's cool, they're all evil and stuff, and they want her to be their buddy and join their little supervillain team. That sounds good to Jinx, so it would appear that the Fearsome 5-1 are now the Fearsome 5-1 plus 1. Although, you might need to put some parentheses around the 5-1 part of that. It's been a little while since I've taken a math class, so I might be wrong about that. Gizmo interrupts Jinx's FFMOPO orientation to complain to Simon with a P that he is unable to free the group's other potential recruit, that radioactive guy, from his metal coffin. Simon with a P is pretty keen to get those roster numbers up to 5 minus 1 plus 2 
So they head back to Star Labs to kidnap Dr. Clyburn so that she can lend a hand freeing their enigmatic final member. Gee, wonder who that guy is. With this much buildup, it's bound to be someone exciting. Outside the Titan's T-shaped skyscraper, our heroes are engaging in some training exercises in their version of the Danger Room. Which is to say their lawn. I mean, it's got less bells and whistles than the actual Danger Room, but on the plus side, it is a lot less likely to gain sentience and try to kill them. Dick jumps around while Starfire shoots magic space fire at him. As he dodges and does acrobat stuff, he continually chides her for going easy on him and insists that she not hold back. So, eventually, she doesn't. Then all the other Titans grab her and like, Whoa, whoa, chill the fuck out, Starfire. Why weren't you holding back? You could have killed him. Starfire apologizes and blames her warrior training. Nightwing magnanimously accepts her apology for doing what he asked her to do. What a guy. Meanwhile, at the hospital, the FFMOPO are strolling down the hallway. Simon with a P and Jinx use their respective nonsense powers to casually disable all the guards. Eventually, they reach Dr. Janae Clyburn's office. As luck would have it, the doctor is having a meeting with Vic and Dr. Charles about how the physical therapy is progressing when the baddies bust in to kidnap Clyburn. Vic attempts to intercede, but seeing as he can't use his augmented strength or fancy doohickeys anymore, he is quickly subdued. Fortunately, the FFMOPO, or FMOPO, do not recognize Vic, possibly because he is significantly less shiny than he used to be, but also possibly because they're racist. As the quintet of kidnappers start to leave, Victor interrupts their exit and insists that he is Clyburn's assistant and she will work more efficiently if he is by her side. Anxious to free their radioactive pal and finally bust out those new FFMOPT logos, the five felons decide to heed Vic's advice that they kidnap him as well. After doing so, they head back to their secret hideout. When word of the kidnapping reaches the other Titans, they hop in their T-Jet and head to Star Labs. Dr. Charles fills them in on what has just transpired, including Vic's surgery, about which the team had been previously unaware. The concerned crime fighters begin their investigation and try to determine the whereabouts of the soon-to-be FFMOPT. Their initial search is fruitless, but they are soon contacted by the NYPD's Captain Hall who informs the teens that he has heard rumors that Simon with a P wants to make a big announcement soon, and that, coincidentally, the mayor has just called a press conference for later that morning, and he would like the Titans to attend. Hmm. While our heroes head off to meet with the mayor, Simon with a P and his quartet of costumed comrades eagerly await the unboxing of their final member. Vic and Dr. Clyburn have been hard at work attempting to open the mysterious stranger's containment... container... The new plastic half of Vic's face must be malfunctioning slightly, because as he informs his captors that the work is almost complete, he seems to be winking at Dr. Clyburn a lot. Oh, wait, I get it. As Vic connects the final wires, there is a huge explosion, and the two hostages manage to escape. Hooray! Clyburn expresses concern that their patient might have been injured in the blast, but Victor assures her that he rigged the device to explode outward so as not to hurt the dude in the metal coffin, but not so far outward as to injure himself or the doctor. Dang, Vic, that is one precision jury-rigged grenade you made out of spare medical parts. Nice work. Then all Vic's new plastic parts blow out and start melting. Whoops. 
Across town, the mayor's press conference is about to get underway. The mayor explains that he asked our titular teenagers to join him on stage because the city is facing a big problem and might need their help. Weird choice, Mr. Mayor. I mean, the whole point of like three of the Titans' most recent storylines is that they were unfairly maligned by the press, so it seems like their presence would be a huge liability from a public relations standpoint and would hardly instill confidence in the average citizen watching at home. Anyway, the mayor goes on to say, So the reason I'm holding this press conference is that while I was sleeping in bed this morning, a weird guy with a see-through skull started talking to me from inside my brain and threatening the city. Okay, I get that he's talking about Simon with a P, but that is a bonkers way to begin a speech to your constituents. Does that guy hold other press conferences that are like, I wanted to speak to you this morning because while I was sleeping last night, some images appeared in my head of me going back to elementary school and having to take a big test, only I didn't have any pants on, and my teacher looked like the guy that played Schneider from One Day at a Time, but somehow I still knew that it was my teacher and also my old volleyball coach and maybe my dad. Then all of a sudden, I was trying to run, but I was moving very slowly and my teeth started falling out. Clearly, the city is in great peril, so I called Superman to help us deal with this crisis. I hope I can count on your vote this November. Unfortunately, before the mayor gets a chance to talk about the other things he has seen inside his brain while lying in bed, an astral projection of Simon with a pea's head appears over the podium and starts addressing the crowd directly. Apparently, the Fearsome 5 minus 1 plus 1 are now officially the Fearsome 5 minus 1 plus 2, and with their newest member, the supervillain Neutron, they would like to take control of New York City, please. Or else. So that's who that guy was. Neutron. Oh no! Also, who the fuck is Neutron? Well... Whoever Neutron is, if the city of New York doesn't submit to the FFMOPT's demands, they'll all be burning doing his dance. Woohoo! And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Hey, Corey, how's it going? It's going well. How are you? I am doing pretty good. Now, eagle-brained listeners will remember that for our last few episodes... You have sealed yourself in an isolated dimension filled with stalagmites and electrical crackles mm-hmm. uh, to repress your every emotion lest your father come out and take control of your body. And uh, seeing as he was raised in New England in the 50s, probably be way better at suppressing mm-hmm. every emotion. Mm-hmm. But you're back. I am. Yeah. I'm very glad to have you back. Thank you. It's my understanding that your exit from that dimension... Uh, was through the country of Iceland. It was. That's exciting. It was, yeah. Did you have a good time there? I did have a good time. It was very sunny. Yeah, well, that's there is a misconception about Iceland. Here's a fun fact about Iceland that I happen to know. Mm. They don't like to publicize this fact, but despite the fact that it's called Iceland, their favorite American gladiator is, in fact, Nitro. Not ice, no. like you would think. And in Nitro Land, their favorite American gladiator is also Nitro, because Nitro is the best. Okay, okay, that checks out. 
And in Malibu, they still know that Malibu was a terrible American gladiator. You remember more American gladiator names than I do. Thank you. It's three. Three is the number that I remember. It's a respectable amount to remember. You know what's less respectable? Hmm. It's more than that. (laughs) I remember them all. Zap and Lace and Gemini. And then in the reboot, they had Wolf. That's taking up space. I know. It's terrible. Hmm. I can't remember my children's names. Just name them after American Gladiators. You'll be good. Ah, good deal. Also, I'm pretty sure I don't have any children. But like I said, there's all that space that the American mm-hmm. Gladiators' names are taking up. I might have just forgotten. I haven't seen any. So Okay. I then think, I think I'm probably in the clear. I think you're good. All right. No little nitros running around the house. Nope. No lasers. No wolves. Oh, I forgot about laser. So what do you think about this comic book? I think I liked it a little more than you did, maybe. That would not have been difficult. My first note for this issue was, I wrote the word bad. And (laughs) then I put an exclamation, and then I underlined it, and then I circled it. I did eventually write more words around that word, but Mm -hmm. that was my initial thought on it. So you you were okay with the issue? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of a nothing story. It's just one of these setting up the next big battle Mm -hmm. stories. I am curious, though, about what it's what it's doing for Vic's uh, character development. I would suspect that what it's doing is nothing. Uh, and we can get into that. He's going to go back to how he was before. I'm pretty sure. I am of the opinion that pretty much every character in this book is just getting reset. And I'm really, really tired of it. Yeah, Beast Boy. Beast Boy is definitely back to his own shit. And I made myself a deal. I don't think we should talk about Beast Boy until we get to the minutia. Spoiler alert, he is going to be my choice for Speedy, the worst Teen Titan. And part of what I'm finding frustrating about this comic book is that it is so repetitive in the cycles that these characters are running through that I'm worried that we're getting repetitive because we keep having to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't want to keep repeating myself when it comes to Beast Boy, but I also don't want to let some of the shit that he's doing go unremarked upon and have that be like my tacit approval of what a piece of shit he is. Yeah, but, when shitty behavior becomes normal. Yeah, I don't want to normalize it, but mm-hmm. also I'm, I feel like I'm just repeating myself about him. So we'll save Beast Boy until the minutia at the end. Okay. But he's not the only character that I feel like has throughout the course of this comic book just been going back to being reset. And I feel like that's what's happening with Cyborg. It seemed to me like they were doing an interesting thing with the character where he has the surgery and he goes through this thing. It it seems like it was a build-up to a major story that all got compressed into one comic book. The end of this comic book looks like he burned out his parts. I would suspect he's going to go back to being Cyborg. And be angsty about it now because he had a taste of not being ostracized for his robotic appearance. Which is a reset to what the character was before. We see that they're resetting Starfire again to be she had kind of dealt with and gone through all of this thing. And then they're like, no, what I like about Starfire is that she is kind of bloodthirsty and has all this warrior training and is trying to adjust to Earth's standards where you can't kill people. Mm Mm-hmm. We've already seen that story, and it looks like they're just setting it back to that with her, too. And as I said, we'll talk about Beast Boy later, but it seems like all of the characters are getting just 
cycled back to their factory settings. Mm-hmm. And we see that with Raven, too, in that she just doesn't appear in this issue. It seemed like they were leading up to something with her, and then no Raven in this issue. Even on a micro scale, just in terms of erasing past story arcs, the last issue ended with Starfire choking to death on poisonous gas, Wonder Girl's trapped inside of an invisible wall that Shimmer created. They were both dying, and it's like, looks like these Titans are dead. There is no mention of that made in this issue. They just show up and are like, eh, that sucked. Well, Wonder Girl does have a sore back. Right. That's it, though. But she doesn't even mention how she got the sore back, how she escaped from being squeezed to death by an invisible wall, how Starfire stopped choking to death on poison gases. Like, give me a fucking sentence there. And uh, the impetus for Robin, I mean, uh, Nightwing saying... You know, we've just been acting as individuals. We need to come back and work as a team, and therefore we're going to train towards that goal. Um, He doesn't say that's because he got stuck on a roof. No, he doesn't even mention that he got stuck on a roof. It's like he never got stuck on a roof. You called him Robin. I'm surprised he didn't go back to just being called Robin. Mm -hmm. Might as well have. He did some good acrobatics. Yeah, he did some good flips. In his very, very poorly thought out attempt to, we need to train better, so... Starfire, try to kill me. No, seriously, try to kill me. I'm a super good acrobat. And then she tries to kill me. He's like, whoa, where did that come from? You need to tone it down. That was poorly thought out. Yeah, man, that dude is fucking longitude. He is all over the map. What did you like about this issue? Because it sounds like we have uh, differing opinions, at least slightly. Not so much in terms of the larger development of the characters as you said it was kind of a giant reset i did like the introduction of a new character new bad guy fearsome yeah five six seven it's the fearsome four fearsome five minus minus one plus plus two two. yeah so yeah the fearsome five minus one plus two Mm -hmm. yeah we meet one of their new characters jinx Mm -hmm. she is from india which beast boy says some racist shit about Mm mm-hmm And she has kind of the standard set of completely undefined Eastern mysticism nonsense powers. Mm -hmm. You you liked this character? I liked the introduction of something new. My favorite thing, though, about the fearsome 5 minus 1 plus 2 in this issue was Gizmo. Gizmo was pretty good in this issue. Also, I gotta say, Simon with a P, real piece of shit, pretty decent boss. Which, how so? Well... He gives praise where it's due to Gizmo. Mm-hmm. He tells him that, like, oh, I was never worried about you. You're doing a really good job. I know you're not having a lot of success in the current task that you're working on, freeing Neutron from his casing, but you did a great job with Jinx. You're so good with machines. You're a very valuable member of the team. And when Gizmo says, I can't do it, I can't free Tyron, or I'm sorry, I can't free Neutron. Tryon also he goes by. Well, it's because his name is Nathaniel Tryon or Nat Trion, which seems like it should be a thing. It's a Zen Cohen of a pseudonym because Natrion isn't a thing, but it sounds like it's close to Neutron, kind of, but not close enough to be an actual pun. That is confusing. It is. It's like I said, it's like a Zen Cohen. I, I looked it up a couple of times. There are a few different like 
companies called Natrion, because it does sound like a thing. Mm -hmm. There was a football player called, I think, Natron Means. It was a good name. Natron. <laughs> That's what we should have called you. That's okay. Back in the day. I'm fine with that. football playing days. <laughs> yeah. Those were brief days in that they didn't exist. Natron. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. When Gizmo is having trouble freeing Neutron from his casing, mm -hmm. he's like, I can't do it. I can't do this with the tools that I have at my disposal. And Simon with a P is just like, well, what can I do to support you in your endeavors? What do you need to succeed in this? And then goes out and tries to find it and, and uh, get it for him. Mm -hmm. Which, I mean, like I said, Simon with a P, real piece of shit, seems like he's a pretty good boss. Like, you would expect the leader of the evil organization, I'm sure Dr. Light would have just been like, called him a fool, used his powers on him, mm -hmm. done some kind of torture thing on him, and been like, work better, work faster. Mm -hmm. But, uh, not bad on that. Less so with the newer helpers, though. Like, he gives a Cyborg and uh, Dr. Genet a hard time. He does. Well, they're not really part of the team, though. They're, oh, I see. They're pressed in, they're, they're his enemies that are pressed into labor. Like I said, he is still a real piece of shit. Good boss for his direct reports. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. I had a few problems with the Jinx character. I like to see a new character introduced. I especially like to see a new character introduced who is not your standard, like, white dude. The fact that there's a lot of, like... I don't know, hand-waving about just, like, Eastern mysticism. She's got, like, the weird, uh, the weird third eye on her forehead. Mm -hmm. And she has just, like, undefined magical powers that kind of accentuate her otherness. Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of an issue. I also just, in general, they've introduced another character in addition to Simon, who's doesn't have any clear parameters to their power and seems to just be able to do, you know, pretty much whatever. Well, that was his whole deal, was he needs to be invincible enough to beat those pesky teen titans. Yeah. And he's got undefined magic powers, he's gonna get... Undefined psychic powers. And uh, Atomic Touch Man coming. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. New York, look out. Yeah. The other thing that I didn't like about the portrayal of the Fearsome Five in this was I felt like it was a pretty stereotypical thing of Shimmer being instantly distrustful of there being a new woman in the group. And being like, what do you need her for? I could turn shit into other shit. Get her out of here. Yep, not without issue. No. For sure. And I think that was foreshadowed by, was it Beast Boy was about the one who made the From India comments? Oh yeah, or, that was Beast Boy. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so, I don't know. The, the Fearsome Five is up to some weird shit. I also don't really understand what their press conference was about or why there needed to be like the word on the street from the thugs like in waterfront bars is the fearsome five are gonna hold a press conference did you hear the word the fearsome five are gonna hold a press conference i love i love that scene though because the mayor <laughs> whoever the guy in charge was was just like hey new york we're in bad shit we're in deep shit <laughs> and then simon's head like looked and he's like yes you are why would you hold a press conference if, like, you didn't know what you were holding a press conference about? That is but bad leadership like... to come out in front of everybody and be like, Hey, guys, 
this is really bad. There are a couple of signs that the mayor of New York is a terrible politician. That is the biggest one. The fact that he's like, I don't really know what's going on, but I asked the Teen Titans to stand here behind me, despite them not what knowing what's going on either, because, uh, I don't know, it seems bad. Probably they'll be able to help. Yeah, not well <laughs> thought out at all. Not well thought out. The main reason you know that the mayor of New York is a terrible politician, though, is his outfit. He's wearing a short-sleeved, button-down shirt with a tie. Politicians should never wear a short-sleeved shirt. How will they roll up their sleeves to symbolically show that it's time to get to work and that they're not afraid to get their hands dirty? You gotta have somewhere to go from that. Mm. Unless oh, he just, he's going to roll up like a pack shirt. of cigarettes in his... Just all the way up. Muscle shirt. <laughs> yeah. Muscle shirt and tie. Okay. He might be the best politician <laughs> we've ever seen then. All right. Roll up a pack of camels in there. Yeah. So you know he's blue collar? Yeah. Listen up, you guys. It's me, the mayor of New York. <laughs> it's real bad. Look, you know what you were getting when you elected a stereotype as mayor of your city. <laughs> You guys knew what was going on. The thing I did like about this issue was Cyborg finally got his uh, human-type parts. It was nice to see him have an emotional kind of... I know the whole reset button. No, I I get you, and I enjoyed his training montage. That was pretty great. Very reminiscent of, like, Rocky Mm III. But it's such a compressed arc for him that I feel like why bother if it, if this is all you're going to do with it. Well, I got to say despite that when he started melting his human new human skin polymers melted off at the end, I really got zinged by that like I felt Yeah, bad. I, f- I felt bad for Super him. Bad. Especially when he's just like, "Oh man, I was going to wait no. and not show anybody until I was super buff." Mm-hmm. I fucked up. <laughs> Nobody saw me look this way. And then he just passes out. And then he passes out. It makes me wonder what those parts are made out of. Like, are they just fucking paper mache? Because his actual human parts don't burn out or, like, rip and tear when he does robot shit with his knee joints or whatever. Mm -hmm. What the fuck did they make his parts out of? The wrong stuff, apparently. Yeah, it seems like that shouldn't be that difficult. Flammable, meltable plastic. Yeah, I think it might literally be paper mache. Mm. And then they just filled it with candy. They turned him into a half robot, half pinata. Poor beautiful bastard. (laughs) So delicious. So one thing that they did establish with Jinx, which I kind of appreciated, was they have her set up in opposition to Simon with a P, to an extent, in that they're both evil... And they're both jerks, but she seems to be a sociopathic jerk, and he seems to be a psychopathic jerk. There's a conversation they have when they're walking down the hallway, and Simon with a P is casually torturing everyone with his brain powers. And she's like, why are you fucking with them? Why don't you just kill them? It'd be Mm -hmm. more efficient. And he's like, I'd like to fuck with them, and, you know, maybe I'll kill them later. I enjoy that dynamic. If they set that up as like the psychopath-sociopath-mentor-mentee relationship within the Fearsome Five, minus one, plus two, that could be interesting. It could be interesting, yep. He was doing that, though, to, uh, it, it seemed pragmatic to me, because he wanted to, it's like the, like, 
leave one person alive so they can go tell everybody else how scary the bad guy is. Yeah, see, that doesn't seem like a great plan to me. I think it's scary if you kill everybody and leave a note. Hmm. How did you... What... Did you, <laughs> were you, like, watching the usual suspects in here? Like, you should have just left a note. Like, Yeah, what? I mean, whatever that. It's a pretty common trope that comes up. It's like, no, yeah. we need to leave someone alive to tell the tale. It's like, yeah, you can just send them an email. I think, like, just be like, hey, check out what I left in this building. You show up there, everybody's dead. You're going to be like, oh, yeah, this guy is uh, pretty tough, in fact. Like, there are ways to get people messages other than leaving one guy alive to grow stronger, seek vengeance, and tell the tale. Mm. Loose ends. You don't like them. No. I guess I do fall more in the uh, <laughs> jinx category yeah. than the Simon with the P. Oh, man. I don't really want to align myself with Simon, <laughs> but I think we're at loggerheads here. Well, there, there you have it. I think what it comes down to for me is I just don't like meetings. And so uh, I feel like I've never had a meeting that couldn't have just been a note. And that goes with the leaving the one guy alive to tell the tale. Like, oh, man, uh, I'll have mercy on the guy. I won't make him sit through a bunch of meetings. That's fair, actually. I don't like them either. So, you know, just Mm. uh, send a note. Kill them all, send a note. (laughs) Yeah. No meetings. (laughs) Business 101. Yeah, come on. Get with it, people. High finance. (laughs) Yep. That's Mm. what I'm all about. That's your middle name. Yep. Nathaniel Dimitri High Finance Hubbard. It's a lot of names. It's technically High Finance. It's uh, uh... it's Greek. Okay, so things that I did like about the comic book, because there were some. Okay. Art's real nice. Yeah. Romeo Tengal is back. Yay. We get the original inker from the series, who is my favorite inker from the series, and... There are certain characters who look right for me in a way that they haven't in a little while. One of them being Jericho. He looks real, real good. And if you're going to illustrate a traditionally human-looking cyborg for the first time, I mean the first time outside of flashbacks, I like getting this guy to work on it. And Chuck Patton's art is also still really, really good. Mm -hmm. I, I like him. I would like to see more of his work. He left comic books in, I think, the early 90s and started doing more stuff with animation. And I think had a pretty successful career in animation. But I think I mentioned last issue, he felt that he was unfairly blamed for the lack of success that the uh, Justice League book that he was doing when he was illustrating the Justice League Detroit era. It's a really high-profile gig that was not a, frankly, either critical or financial success for DC, despite the fact that I really liked it. He felt that he was unfairly uh, blamed for that and really never got the same degree of work after it that he did before. And I think that's a shame because this book illustrates that he was a really top-level talent as an illustrator. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good detail. Characters look right. As you said, not bad. The one thing that I would take some issue with with his work on this is when we see the new character, Jinx, who is introduced, her costume design and her character design, to me... Seems like the work of a fill-in artist in that it is very, it's got a lot going on. It's got a lot of complicated little pieces that if you're doing it as a fill-in issue and you're designing a new character, you don't have to worry about having to get those details right each time you do it coming forward. Mm. And it's also not, it's not a terrible costume, but it's not particularly iconic in any way where like you can fixate on one or two details of it and if you get those right then you can gloss over the rest i thought the horns are pretty cool 
The horns are kind of cool. They don't make a ton of sense to me. Like, it just was just like, well, let's just pile everything on this. Let's see. We got a got an eyeball on her forehead. Give her some horns. Uh, giant snake belt buckle. And then just a bunch of weird gold jewelry that's really ornate and intricate. And we'll give her, like, a headdress. But then also she's kind of dressed like a belly dancer. And has an invisible cape. Just, like, a lot of moving parts on that outfit. I think the parts are greater than the sum. And it is the kind of thing where if you know you don't have to draw it again, it does look pretty cool. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if that's part of the reason why I don't think we see a ton of Jinx after this story arc. Uh, or if we do, I would suspect that she got a pretty significant character redesign. I still don't understand why she joined the Fearsome Five. Like, she they wakes busted, up... They busted her out of jail. So that's nice of them. Did Is is that made clear in the to her? Like, when she wakes up and she's like, ah, oh, what's going on? And, and Simon just says, hey, you gotta join our gang. Well, I mean, I think she knew that... She, I mean... She was in this, like, suspended animation in the weird, like, Luke from Empire Strikes Back tube. Mm -hmm. She presumably had been, knew she had been caught by the authorities and put in a, like, and had been imprisoned, hopefully unconscious for the time when she's in the tube. But, I mean, she knew she had been caught and was in prison, and then when she wakes up, she's not in prison anymore. I think she can make the inference. Like, she starts to attack them initially, and then Simon with a P is like... Nah, let me do my uh, bloop, 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 bloop mm-hmm. thing on your brain. Teach you English. Yeah. And so maybe and, as part of that, he was like, hey, we busted you out of jail. And oh. maybe also was just like, and I'm a super good boss. Look how I dealt with Gizmo here. Like, we don't know to what extent he is using his psionic control over the rest of the Fearsome Five minus one plus two. Mm. Maybe he's just using his brain doobly's to make everybody be his pal. That doesn't sound like Simon. It doesn't. No, as I was saying, and like, I was like, doobly doo, buddy. <laughs> Join my team. It would be so much more efficient if he did. He's got that kind of a mental sway over the whole city. Like, instead of getting inside the mayor's brain and being like, we're gonna do something bad later, you should probably hold a press conference. Those are all the details you get. Also, he could have just been like, all right, I want you to sign this bill and this piece of paper that gives me control over the city. Like, why not just... The control over the city thing's pretty loose, too, as a, like, a bad guy thing. Yeah. Right? Like... What does that even mean? Exactly. Like, it's not a dictatorship where you can be like, okay, here's the keys to the city. I mean, mayors do give keys to the city, but they're just symbolic. Yeah. It's not... Do you think he doesn't know that? Oh, maybe. <laughs> I really want that key. We talked about before, maybe Simon with a P is just super dumb or just drunk maybe all the time. inebriated. I think you would have to be pretty drunk to think that running a city is something you want to do. Yeah, that's the other thing. Who so much fucking paperwork. Can you imagine the meetings? Do you know how many fucking emails he's going to get? He's going to be like, hey, maybe I should just kill everybody. <laughs> and Jinx was on to something. It's like, okay, I'm keeping casual Fridays, but... <laughs> I'm killing all of the administrative staff. Hey, you know, you're making a pretty good case for, for Simon with a P. So we don't get to see much of him, and we talked about the fact that he has a dumb alter ego. Had you heard of Neutron before? Because we find out that that's the big reveal of who the dude in the fancy metal coffin is. I... It doesn't ring a bell, no. No, it hadn't for me either. I had to look him up. He is a Superman bad guy. I think had been getting a fair amount of play in the comic books at this point. 
kind of a generic character. He has nuclear powers, which you probably figured out from context. And I think like a nuclear reactor fell on his head. Now he's got nuclear stuff, but he has to live in a metal suit. Doesn't usually work out so good. No, no, not really. Yeah, honestly, his character is about as exciting as his name is. Like, he picked the most boring part of an atom to name himself after. Like, that's the one that has no charge. You got electrons, you got protons, then you got neutrons, no charge, sitting in the middle, not moving around. I mean, the protons are sitting in the middle too, but they got a positive charge. Boring. You remember more than I do. (laughs) Well, mostly I remember it because it was when I was learning that stuff in high school that I saw the movie This Island Earth, and there's a line in it that Cat walks over uh, across the screen, and one of the characters says, That's Neutron. We call him that because he's so positive. And I was like, that is nonsense. Whoa. Like, why would you call him Neutron if he's so positive? Call him Proton if he's so positive. Yeah. And and so, like, yeah, I think that ire cemented the knowledge in my head so that I could uh, continue to feel indignant about it Mm -hmm. throughout my life. Similar to my understanding of fraternal versus identical twins and how that works with the movie Twins, where... Arnold Schwarzenegger keeps saying, we're not identical, uh, when in fact the process that they describe where the uh, the egg splits, they mm-hmm. would be in fact identical. Oh, I remember that movie as a kid. Yeah. I mean, I don't Did you remember get mad the at movie. the science in it too? No, I remember watching the movie and thinking that Danny DeVito was pretty funny. Yeah. He is pretty funny. That's about all I remember though. I think that's the main takeaway and the fact that... Uh, Despite being a brilliant scientist, Arnold Schwarzenegger did not understand the way that identical versus fraternal twins worked. Oh, that's frustrating. It really is. Mm, sorry. It's okay. That, that happens. <laughs> I'll be brave. What did you think of the Benny Hill moment with uh, in the hot tub? <laughs> Starfire, please! <laughs> I actually really enjoyed that moment. I thought that that was great. I thought that was really well handled. It actually reminded me of a similar scene in Rushmore where the kid is hitting on the teacher that he's in love with that he he's like having the feud with Bill Murray over and she pretends it's like oh is this what you want you want to have seven and he's mm-hmm. just like what no I don't know how to deal with this I think it's really telling as to Gar's character and just like the idea that he probably doesn't really understand or know what sex is mm-hmm. yeah he is being his usual creepy jerk of a self and hitting on coriander and donna and starfire who has been in the hot tub and apparently had been nude the whole time just is like all right what do you want car and she stands up and she's naked and he just freaks out and does not know how to handle it and it's just like what what no, I'm, I'm, but no. Ah! i thought that was pretty funny and falls out of the sky yep it yeah it reminded me of that moment in rushmore and also of uh We have a mutual friend who I have referred to as the master of the single entendre. And there was a time when we were hanging out with some people, drinks were being had, and one of our friends was saying something along the lines of, man, I would do anything if somebody would give me a ride to the beach. I really want to go to the ocean. And the guy was like, oh, really? Anything? And she was like, I would have sex with somebody if they gave me a ride to the ocean. And he was just like, uh, um, yeah, uh, but, uh, 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 
<laughs> he beast boyed. He totally beast boyed. And it was a wonderful moment. And this really reminded me of that. And uh, yeah, it really was just a like, oh, yeah, beast boy doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. Yeah, I think I wrote down Starfire calls beast boys booby bluff. Well noted. And it made sense for her character, too. Like, in terms of she grew up in a culture that didn't have, like, nudity shaming and was very sex positive. And so she's like, yeah, what's the big deal? Mm-hmm. And he's like, it's a big deal! Ah! And Dick also is, like, really frazzled. By yeah. It. He's like, she, she, no, don't do that! And she, she, I think she's absolutely right. First of all, it's her body. She can do whatever she wants with it. But also just, like, the effect that it had on calling Beast Boy's bluff where he... At least for a few minutes, shut up. Mm-hmm. Fell right out of his porpoise self. That was mm-hmm. an interesting way to illustrate it, too. It was a confusing illustration, but I liked it. Mm-hmm. There's like three sentences of captioning, basically saying, time passed, things happened. Mm-hmm. And when I read them, I was like, oh, could we read a comic book about that instead of what was in this comic book? Because that sounds more interesting to me. It's... Several days now pass. Coriander accepts a modeling contract. Donna Troy will be her photographer. Joe Wilson works alongside his mother. Victor Stone can't can't be found. And Garfield Logan is plainly worried. It's like, whoa, can we get those hijinks? Like, Mm -hmm. I want to hear more about Coriander's modeling career. And she signs a contract. Does she sign it as Coriander's? How does she establish that personality? Are her and Donna going to get together being workmates that were former roommates like that that could be pretty interesting Sounds and like, like a sitcom yeah that could be pretty fun i would like that i like the day in the life comic books mm-hmm. and it just hinted at this comic book that we could have had that i was like man i would like to read that story granted i did not like the last time we saw joe wilson work with his mom on a case but maybe this one wouldn't be in a uh, in a racist light fictionalization of an existing Middle Eastern country. Maybe not. Or uh, maybe it would be in Egypt. We don't know. Stop destroying the art. The art. <laughs> he can't talk. I don't know why I'm. Well, no, because he when he gets into he could get into somebody else's body. I think we established at one point uh... that he sounded like Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. Like. Hey there, leave the art alone. Hands bongo, off. bongo. Hands off the art. <laughs> yeah, those are both very good Matthew McConaughey impressions I think that we we've are done. Pretty good. Not too shabby. All right. Well, on that high note, <laughs> are you ready to get into the minutiae? Uh, yeah. All right, Rick, would you mind singing us in? Thanks, Rick. So, Corey, what category do you feel like starting with? How about sound effects? Okay, what was your favorite sound effect in this issue? It was a little light on the sound effects. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went with what, for me, was the most evocative sound, and that was Mammoth uppercutting a metal door. That made the sound crunch! Pretty good. Yep. I also went with a fairly standard sound effect. Like you said, there were only a few. There were a ton of screes when uh, Coriander was fighting Dick. Mm-hmm. But... Other than that, not a ton to not choose too from. Many. So I actually went with one that will lead us into what I think we'll do with the next category. Mm. I went with Splash. Because it was on the same page that the following timestamp was on. Corey, did you have a timestamp for this issue? Yeah, I had a few. Some of them I had to look up on the internet because they sounded timestampy, but... 
I didn't know. Were in fact from a different era. Yeah, that was confusing. Yeah, well, the one that I was starting with was uh, Splash when Beast Boy is being a dolphin and splashes into the water. He references the movie Splash, which came out in 1984, I believe. So mm-hmm. it would have been the year before this comic book. But he says, anyone know where Daryl Hannah hangs her tail? And so, uh, yeah, fun uh, reference to the movie Splash there. Pretty good. Pretty good. What ones were you talking about that uh, were maybe not as era-specific as one might think? Yeah, so the one that I had to look up that was a little bit confusing was on page 15. And uh, it's Gizmo referring to Cyborg, and he says... Hey, look at young Dr. Kildare here. He thinks he's a hero. And I thought to myself, oh, that sure sounds like a timestamp. And so I looked up young Dr. Kildare, and it was a fictional doctor who was invented in 1937. Mm -hmm. But there was a brief uh, 1970s uh, TV show Mm. about him that was like a reboot. So that's what that was referring to. That was a weird instance, because he says that, and he's like, hey, look at young Dr. Kildare here. He thinks he's a hero. And then on the next page, he says, the jerk thinks he's a hero. And he hits him with some kind of device that he's just cobbled together. It's a whole nother page away. Yeah, it's like, no, I just read him say that. It's not like this is the next issue and we get a recap of what just happened. It's like when you accidentally use the same word twice too close to the first instance. Yeah, I do that sometimes when I'm writing. And then when I'm reading it aloud for the synopsis, I have to think on my feet and edit it out or else I don't. (laughs) and i'm like good enough (laughs) it is done sometimes i could be a real gizmo about that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but other times i invent something new to say like a real gizmo such a complex character Mm, i really am (laughs) you're a real gizmo (laughs) yes did you have other and sometimes i will ride around in a miniature toy car like a real gizmo from gremlins i have not seen you do that I mean, I'm not around all the time. So. That's true. And you you may have a miniature toy car, but I'm pretty you know, sure you might have rounded at night, shoot a bow and arrow that I make out of office supplies. Oh, you are a real uh, gizmo from Gremlins. Thank you. <laughs> Other timestamps we get in here are on the very opening page, there is actually a very fun scene, which is Cyborg completely mummied up after his operation. Like, super invisible man territory here, completely covered in bandages. And he says, So, how am I going to look, Doc? Like Billy D. Williams or the son of Blackula? And they say, Will you settle for the old Victor Stone? He says, Only if Billy D.'s a definite no. Mm-hmm. That's some fun wordplay. If I could offer one note, maybe instead of son of Blackula, Blackenstein. Because Blackula is still a pretty sexy dude. Mm. Now, Blackenstein... Not as much. He's a monster. I mean, Blackenstein's creature. I didn't even know that. So that was another one of the yeah. black exploitation horror movies that was spawned mm-hmm. by Blackula? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, but like came out, I think, the same year or maybe the year after. But yeah, in pretty fairly rapid succession, you had uh, Blackula, Scream, Blackula, Scream, uh, Blackenstein, Bride of Blackenstein, mm-hmm. Black Wolf. Nope. I think they couldn't think of a good uh, black pun for a werewolf. Mm. I mean, to be fair, they couldn't think of a good one for Frankenstein <laughs> yeah. either. But, uh, you know, Wolfman doesn't have a K in it. So they're out of luck. There's no K in Blackula. They spell it like okay, Dracula. Okay, there's a C sound. Damn it. <laughs> You're 
fine. You know, I re- remember walking past that that VHS cover as a kid, being like, "Ooh, that looks scary." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> never, I never saw it. So <laughs> I think, we should have it. We, we should we should to. sit down and watch that movie. Yeah, I watched a really fun movie the other day that yeah. is in no way related to what we're talking about. Okay, <laughs> Battle Beyond the Stars. It's really fun. It's a remake of The Magnificent Seven and therefore of The Seven Samurai, mm-hmm. but in space. And it's a super low-budget science fiction movie that came out in 1980. It's a Roger Corman movie, but it's written by John Sayles. Hmm. And so it's actually pretty well written. One of my favorite things about it, though, is that Robert Vaughn plays the same character in The Magnificent Seven that he does in Battle Beyond the Stars. Whoa. And has, I think, a very similar speech in it about what it's like to be a hunted gunman always looking over his back. Hmm. And it's pretty cool. And like seeing that made me equal parts like, that's really cool. And also like, kind of sad for Robert Vaughn that he was in this movie in 1980. But the bad guy in it is John Saxon. Mm. He plays like the Eli Wallach role. John Saxon's the guy who thought he was the star of Enter the Dragon. Ah. And he has one of my favorite final lines from any movie. As he is being blown up, he keeps continually yelling, I wanted to live forever. (laughs) So good. So good. And that's the time stamp. (laughs) Corey, let's take this party to the Bozone. Alright. What instance of one character calling another character a bozo, either literally or metaphorically, do you feel is worthy of highlight? You go first. Alright. Well, there were a few to choose from. (laughs) Oh, you got me. (laughs) Ha! (laughs) Yeah, there was what I believe we each called in our notes a Natty B going on. That was a weird, unplanned nicknaming. Yeah. Gizmo has a sentence where he uses both the word bozo and mebby. Where does mebby come from? Like, nobody actually, in any vernacular that I know of, nobody says that. No, it's bad and dumb, but in a comic book, (laughs) everybody says it. Including Gizmo... So maybe I can't free that other bozo, but I'm doing just fine with Jinx. And then Simon with a P does his good boss thing at him. Mm-hmm. Been reading the One Minute Manager. I, I don't know what that is. It's a book that teaches you to boss like Simon does. Does it only take a minute to read? Oh no, it takes a little longer than that to read. But it's then a very, I'm it's, out. It's very short. Mm, not oh. short enough. All right. Speaking of very short, mm. Gizmo. Hey. <laughs> he says. Mebby, and he says Bozo, there is a Mebby count of three in this issue. It is Gizmo has one and Cyborg has two. Mm-hmm. Three Mebbies. And one Bozo. Did you have any other entries in the Bozone? Yeah, I did. I liked it when uh, when Cyborg called Simon with a P Glowdome. Mm-hmm. And on the same page, he called him Glasshead. Mm-hmm. Really so, working on a motif there. Couple good zingers there. I thought it was kind of funny that he whispered Glasshead when he was talking to Sarah too, his physical trainer. But then when he spoke out loud, he called him Glowdome. Mm-hmm. I don't want him to hear me call him Glasshead. Hey, hey Glowdome! Cyborg also calls Dr. Sarah Charles, um, calls her Attila the Huntress. Yeah. 
Which I don't know how to feel about, but it sounds pretty badass with Huntress added. It does. I think the Huntress might be a reference to the DC character, the Huntress. Oh. So it might be like a more popular reference within the comic books than it is outside of that. I also liked uh, Jinx's casual use of the word fools. It's not a directed one. She's not calling people directly, you fools or human fools. She's saying, hey, Simon with a P, be careful. These fools are doing something. Mm -hmm. And uh, the casual use of the word fool, I enjoyed. I like it. It's a good one. Sartorially speaking, which elements of fashion did you feel were worth talking about in this issue? Oh, man, the 80s workout montage was so 80s. It was so 80s. I wanted to do, like, a cross-reference and see if those were actually the outfits that they wore in Rocky Three. Like, a lot of bare midriffs going on. Yeah, so there's one that's earlier on, like, maybe page 8. That's the double page one. Mm -hmm. There's one later where, I guess, they've cooled down a little bit. And so uh, Dr. Charles has put on over her, like, uh, tank top and short shorts a loose-fitting sweater with, like, a huge neck and leg warmers that are the same color. Mm -hmm. Man, that is a, a dope I think look. Apollo Creed might have worn that outfit in Rocky Three. I feel like his was not so much sweater, but, like, a sweatshirt. Right. And Rocky's shirt was made out... It was definitely a half shirt that was made out of mesh. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, no, those were really interesting. We talked a little bit about Jinx's outfit, Specifically, the oddest choice to me about that was a translucent cape. I feel like with her outfit, I thought it was interesting, but I also felt like whoever came up with it, like maybe had just seen an exhibit at a museum about like old timey stuff from the Middle East. And it was like, all of it. It yeah. all goes in this outfit. All these things here. Yeah, it is kind of a confusing hodgepodge of an outfit. Still, pretty sweet giant gold cobra head belt buckle. Mm -hmm. I did enjoy that aspect of it. But yeah, overall, it was just like, whoa, there's a lot happening here. You mentioned the mayor already. I did mention the mayor and his uh, his bad politician outfit. Unless he is Slash. planning on rolling up those <laughs> short sleeves, in which case, best politician outfit. Really don't know where to stand on this mayor of New York. He's a divisive fellow. Muscle shirt with a tie. Oof. I hate to say it, I think you might have my vote. <laughs> his mayoral platform of... Hey, I'm walking over here. Shit's real bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it really, it spoke to me. Mm. Every issue of a Teen Titans comic book has an Aqualad, the greatest of Teen Titans, and also a Speedy, the worst of Teen Titans. In this issue, who was your Aqualad? In this issue, my Aqualad was Joe. Oh, because I'm pretty sure after Beast Boy does his stunt where he makes the Daryl Hannah joke and he splashes everybody with water jericho makes a sign that i think is american sign language for bird brain oh really yeah is that what that little zero this is well yeah so bird brain is this sign <laughs> all of you out there in radio land you can't oh, see oh that is pretty but... good and yeah th that is a good catch and that is pretty funny that wonder girl responds to that by saying yeah joey i agree and beast boy's like hey i'm still trying to learn sign language what is he saying mm-hmm Pretty good. Pretty, Pretty good. good. That's a good catch. I actually missed that one. I went with Coriander for her calling of uh, Beast Boy's bluff. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a pretty nice moment. Conversely, Beast Boy, right? Yeah. There's. I mean, I'm tired of, like you said, it's, it seemed, it's starting to feel kind of repetitive. But Yeah, uh, he's, he's sexist in the issue. He's racist in the issue. 
he has a line when he's talking about the fact that he has done a little bit of homework and found out who the Fearsome Five were busting out of jail, that it was Jinx. He says, you had asked them to send you info on who the FF kidnapped. Okay, first of all, it's the FFMO. <laughs> first of all, it's the <laughs> FFMOPT. So, you know, use their full name. And second of all, what he goes on to say is, she's Indian, as in, sorry, wrong number, not me scalp em cowboys. But also, you know, Ouch. you know, he didn't say sorry, wrong number in an American accent. He said it in a, a oh, he like a absolutely super bad did it voice. in his like Apu voice. Yeah. Uh, Pre-Apu voice. I guess his, let's see, this is 85. He probably did it in his uh, Fisher Stevens from Short Circuit voice. But yeah. Bad. Bad, real bad, and just gross. He also, he has a running stream of uncomfortable banter about Donna and Starfire. Um, and I liked it when Starfire called his bluff, but it, we had been promised again that he was going to get his shit together and stop being such a piece of shit. And yeah, I know, you absolutely called it. I wanted to have hope that he would maintain being an okay guy for at least a little while, but nope, you you called it. He's not how he rolls. absolutely back on his shit. It's like they just hit the reset button and set all of the Titans back to their factory settings. And his is an obnoxious, insecure, sexually harassing creep. And there's no respect for the previous storytelling that happened, despite the fact that it's the same author. The other shitty thing that Beast Boy does in this issue is just be horrible on the telephone. Now, poor phone manners are kind of a constant for everyone in this comic book, and frankly in comic books in general. But when he is talking to Vic's grandparents to find out where he is. Have the decency to say, thank you for the information, I have to go, and hang up the phone politely. It's not only rude, it is wildly inefficient of him. Because he asks where Vic is. Tucker, mm -hmm. Vic's grandfather, says, Corky didn't tell you, son? He's in that Star Labs hospital getting himself a new plastic body. And Maud says, is that Corky's green friend? Tell him Maudie wants to pinch his cute little cheeks. That's, that that's pretty, cute. pretty sweet. But then Tucker goes on to say, son, you can find him at. So he's about to tell him where he can find the guy that he's looking for. But Beast Boy has dropped the phone and started sprinting away from it and doesn't even hear the rest of the conversation. It's incredibly rude, but it's also incredibly inefficient because you were about to learn the information that you wanted. Bad job, Beast Boy. He's such a little fucking turd. <laughs> he is. Corey, what was your favorite panel? For me, it's a toss-up between the workout montage that we mentioned before. The workout montage is very good. But I might have to go with another little hidden gem on page four that's sunset and it's there the holodeck it's not called the holodeck what are they called? it's a holodeck it's yeah. fine i don't care what they call it yeah the the holodeck of them in the hot tub pool room with a beautiful tropical sunset in the background well jericho is massaging donna beast boy is a dolphin that is flipping around in the pool and uh yeah coriander and dick are in the hot tub and the sunset and palm tree in the background looks like it's something on the airbrushed onto the side of a 70s van. Like it is, it just looks super It is cool. a beautiful image. And I was tempted by that. I was tempted by the training montage. 
However, I decided to go a different direction. Hmm. As I believe I may have conveyed thus far, I did not like this issue. So out of protest, I went with a panel from the 16-page insert comic that was in this. <laughs> the Mask Mobile Armored Strike Command with a K team. This is a toy line that was popular at the time where vehicles turned into vehicles with lots of guns. Mm-hmm. The car could fly. Yeah, the car could fly because it had like a... Gullwing doors. Gullwing doors like a DeLorean. Mm-hmm. But I decided to go from a pan- with a panel from that in which the villain, Miles Mayhem, shoots 20 daggers out of his helmet at the good guys. It is completely nonsensical. I didn't read the whole insert issue even. It just really cracked me up when I saw it. doesn't make any damn sense. He is shooting physical daggers out of the eye holes of his helmet. And it is wonderful. It looks like it's killing him in the panel. They're stiletto darts. It does look like it should kill him. They're they're ducking. No, him. Oh, the guy that's shooting them? Yeah, I would imagine it would. They've got to come from somewhere. I just love that panel. It really cracked me up. I counted them. There are 20 daggers that are in that one panel. And uh, it looks like there are more that have probably flown off screen already. Well. So that was my favorite panel in the comic book. Cheers to your diligence, sir. Thank you. Good counting. Thank you. I don't get enough credit, I think, for what a good, good counter I am of up to and including 20. Yeah, nice work. Thank you. Well, I believe that leaves us with just one question I must put to you. Corey, whoopoot! In the year of our Lord 1985 and the month of our Lord September, what was Aqualad probably up to Corey whoopoot? Good question. Thank you. You're welcome. So last time we talked about his work for justice in mm-hmm. bringing the bombers of the uh, the Greenpeace boat uh, ship Rainbow Warrior to justice, mm-hmm. and so thankfully we finally saw that come to fruition with the uh, the French PM uh, making a public address about the guilt of the the guys that blew it up. So that was nice to see that come full circle. Sure, but that's in the past, and, and that's so, also more what the PM of France is up to, not what Aqualad's probably up to. Right. So what is Aqualad probably up to? So one of the things he was up to was swimming around in the ocean like he normally does and uh, running across the uh, the sunken remains of the Titanic. Oh. Yeah. And he thought to himself, oh, shit. Yeah, this is the boat with the story mm-hmm, and the thing. Mm-hmm. And that information is probably valuable. I think I'm just going to sit on it. Oh, he didn't tell anybody. Well, not at first. He was going through some old reruns. Of uh, some of his favorite shows, as he does, you know, and kind of likes the old-timey stuff. Right. And he was really wanting to see some more Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Oh. Which had been off the air for years at this time. So, you know, he did a little sleuthing, connected some dots, and made some calls. And so it turns out that there was a connection between Robert Ballard, the famous oceanographer who actually wound up taking credit for the discovery of the Titanic, hmm. and also uh, one um, Christopher Crowe, who was actually a, a Hollywood producer. Oh. So Crowe was a total boat nut and a Titanic conspiracy, like, not conspiracy. A real James Cameron. A real James Cameron. Yeah, a boat nut who is really into Titanic. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so Crow and Cameron are hanging out, and all this is going on. And so Aqualad, being the smart young man that he is, connects all these dots. Mm-hmm. He places some phone calls and says, Mr. Crow, I love the Alfred Hitchcock Presents show. 
if you can bring it back, I may be able to get you some information that will hook you up and allow you to be part of the discovery of of the Titanic. Wow. And so that's what happened. So he spent, that was on the, the, the first. So Crow got in touch with Ballard and then uh, had him. Well, Aqualad put Ballard in touch with Crow. Oh, gotcha. And then things went from there. One thing led to another. And uh, from 1985 to 1986, Alfred Hitchcock Presents had a beautiful revival. Interesting. And that was what Aqualad was probably up to. Oh, that was one of the things. He's a busy guy. He is a busy guy. It's funny. The other thing that he was up to also did relate to television. And specifically something that hooks up to the television. But we'll get to that in just a second. (laughs) You see, the first thing that Aqualad was up to was reading this very comic book that we just read as it came off of the newsstands. What? I know. And he read it, and he had a similar opinion to me, so he flushed it down the toilet. Oh my gosh. And then he was like, oh no, that totally fucked up my toilet. Oh, Aqualad. And this is where the television aspect of it comes in. You see, recently, Aqualad had hooked a Nintendo up to his television, and so he started playing Super Mario Brothers. And he's like, oh, these magical fictional Italians know a lot about plumbing. Hmm. I bet they could get this toilet unclogged for me, but they're not real. But he had also been watching, as you said, he was a fan of older television. At the time, more recent older television, he really liked to watch Happy Days. Hmm. And so he thought to himself, magical fictional Italians who are good at fixing things, Arthur Fonzarelli! (laughs) So he called up his good buddy Henry Winkler, who played the Fonz on Happy Days, and was like, how do I fix my toilet? And Henry Winkler's like, I don't fucking know, call a plumber! And he's like, oh, yeah, that's probably a pretty good idea. But then he kept talking to Henry Winkler, and Henry Winkler was like, hey, I'm the producer of this new show that's about to come out soon. I think you'd enjoy it. And so Aqualad took his friend Henry Winkler's advice, and later that month watched the premiere of MacGyver. Oh, shit. That was produced by Henry Winkler? Uh Uh-huh. No kidding. Yeah. And that was what Aqualad was probably up to. He flushed this garbage comic book down the toilet... Not how I would suggest you get rid of it. Irresponsible. It really, it really was, and he regretted it. A waste of um, money. Yeah. Disrespectful. Yeah. Well, that I'm okay with. Uh, and, yes, because he had been playing Super Mario Brothers, it gave him the idea to try to call his friend Arthur Fonzarelli, a.k.a. Henry Winkler. And, uh, yeah, that's what he did. Far out. Sit on it. That was uh, Fonzie's catchphrase. Oh. <laughs> no, wait. He said, hey. Everybody else on the show said sit on it. He probably told people to sit on it. Sit on what? That's that's the million dollar question. Hmm. Sit on the toilet and use it to make poops. Don't flush comic books down it. And that's the hoax rules. I was just going to say that. <laughs> well, it's wonderful to have you back in the comic book room, Corey. It's good to be back. Thank you so much for joining us, Corey, and thank you for joining us, dear listeners. As we have read this divisive issue, which Corey thought was not as bad as I thought it was. I thought it was okay. (laughs) I thought it was garbage trash. (laughs) I'm reserving my garbage trash judgment for a future time. Fair enough. And that's the thing about calling something garbage trash. It's a renewable resource. I can call other things garbage trash. Have you heard my tirade about the irises in my yard? 
they are pieces of shit and I hate them. <laughs> um, oh my God. <laughs> it's a goddamn flower. I know. I'm just saying. The, the phrase garbage trash, it instantly renews itself. This comic book is garbage trash. That lobster beer we had earlier, that was garbage trash. That wasn't very good. That's true. See? Fine. It's not a closed system. I just, I just feel like you gotta be careful. With garbage these trash shared is not garbage trash diminished, Corey. <laughs> if you would like to get into, t- <laughs> if you would like to get into touch with us, you can do so at ttwasteland@gmail.com. We are on Tumblr and Instagram and Facebook, and all up in the internet's business. Look for us by typing the title of the show into your computer. And then look at the results and then download them into your interface. They know how and to click do it. enter. And then make a link. It's <laughs> easy. That's how computers go. But if you can't find us there, then uh well, why don't you try looking inside your heart? And we'll be there. Waving up at you and saying cheers. Hey guys, it's nice in this heart. Four chambers. Warm. Look at that blood flow through it. Nice and healthy. A lot of pink tissue. That's what I like to see in a heart. Yep. Thanks for uh, inviting us in here. We promise not to trash the joint. We want to get that security deposit back. What do they charge for a security deposit in a heart these days? Too much. Too much, I'll tell you that. Not enough that I can afford to not get it back. So we'll be careful. Always. Okay, mm-hmm. bye. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> oh, if you <laughs> Money. Yeah, give us money. <laughs> um, <laughs> give us money so that we can afford that security deposit in your heart. Uh, you can you do that can't... at <laughs> you can do that at patreon.com slash wasteland. No, Corey. What? This one we need to be serious about. Because oh. I really, really want money. <laughs> <laughs> patreon.com slash TT Wasteland for all of your giving us money needs. If you donate, you get exclusive access to a bunch of bonus material, including the podcast within a podcast, What the Duck, a podcast most foul, but with a W because he's a duck, the Howard the Duck show that Lisa and I host. Um, It's also nice to have money. He's wiggling his eyebrows all weird. Yeah, because money. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye. And they knew it. You should totally watch uh, Battle Beyond the Stars. John Saxon looks like Bill Superfoot Wallace. Little bit. Superfoot's a great name. Oh, so good. Because <laughs> it also implies that his other foot, eh, it's okay. It's not super feet, Wallace. No, you gotta have one good one. Yep. Better than Bill Pretty Good Feet Wallace. Bill Feet Wallace. <laughs> Bill Normal Feet Wallace. It's not good. No. <laughs> Why would you brag about that? Get a load of two feet over here.